welcome to the Shushbox Podcast, a safe space for self-expression, healing, and empowerment. Hosted by me, Sunita, founder of Shushbox, the wellness platform supporting survivors of sexual trauma. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Shushbox Podcast. This week, we're joined by survivor, advocate, public speaker, and founder of Something to Say, Jeremy Indica. And we're talking about breaking the silence on child sexual abuse. I'm adding a small trigger warning as we do go into some details. So please be mindful whilst listening. So welcome, Jeremy, to the Shushbox podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super happy to have you here. Um, I thought we could just kick things off with you maybe giving yourself a little introduction and then we can go into the topic of conversation today, which is breaking the stigma on child sexual abuse. Amazing. So hi, everyone. My name is Jeremy Indica. I am currently raising awareness for child sexual abuse online um using and you know what i'm trying to be as creative as i can in doing that just trying to capture the attention of everyone not only people who have uh, got a link to the subject or who have been through the experience themselves just trying to capture the attention of everybody because i believe this is a subject that's everybody's concern absolutely i know we were just chatting on it there but yeah i think the content that you do put out it's delivering exactly that right so even though it is an uncomfortable conversation especially with child sexual abuse it's like that subject that nobody wants to touch it's like oh no uh you know we can talk about sexual assault i mean even all of these topics are still considered as uncomfortable but i think specifically with child sexual abuse people are like oh how do you even tackle talking about that right because it makes people feel uncomfortable yeah, it's so crazy because it's it's one of those things that like the more we uncover it, the more we find out how much it's happening. And, you know, if you really think about it objectively, why isn't this one of the big topics that we're talking about? Because it's the thing that nobody wants to see happen, you know, except for the people that are actually doing it. Nobody's like, yeah, it's not so bad. Like, it's okay. Like, nobody wants to see it happen. But just so ironically, it's the one we don't want to talk about or tackle. Yeah, absolutely. It is because it is that one of people don't want to accept that it's happening. It's almost like um, we had someone mes- message in, I remember probably about a year or two ago, and they were saying, I feel ashamed being a survivor of sexual, child sexual abuse because people look at, um, look at me and um, you know, I should be feeling ashamed because of what I've gone through. And I just, it just made me, it, it's just that layers of shame that these, you know, survivors have, especially in childhood, especially with all the like grooming tactics and this confusion around it. I just feel that shame should never sit with a survivor. And as a child, of course, that child would not even know what's happening. So how can that shame, it shouldn't live with that person. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder often if there is actually a, natural psychological reaction that brings the shame or is it is it a largely part to the way society deals with the topic you know what I mean it's like is there actually a chemical or or something going on in the brain that brings that shame or is it actually society that have created that shame around the topic so it creates a shame in the in, in the person who's been through that experience like I'm trying to get there's I'm trying to have all of these conversations and dive into all of these topics I'm also trying to trying to get to the bottom of like like really when you think about it there is no need and I know it's easy to say and it is easy to say there's no need to have 
any embarrassment or any shame around this because something that happened to you when you were a child, it happened to you. You know, you didn't, you weren't, didn't have any type of development or maturity to understand what you were involved in. Maybe you've been heavily manipulated or tricked or, or forced into it. It was, it was not your doing, um, but just so crazily, we, we still walk around with this shame or embarrassment or fear around talking. It's just that, yeah, it's a minefield. Yeah, it's exactly like a minefield. And I think you're totally right. It's not, um, I mean, we don't know for sure. I'm like, you're totally right. It is the, it is society. <laughs> but I'm always like, it is society. The way that even sex, I mean, the whole topic of sex, sexuality, and then when you bring in sexual abuse, sexual trauma, it's just um, <laughs> people have built it in society to make it something we don't talk about. So when it gets to sexual abuse and then it gets to child sexual abuse, it's like, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We can't yeah. bring it up. Like the whole sex thing and and like I'm trying to branch into these different subjects because I, I find that if we're going to start talking about prevention, there's so many areas that we can develop for prevention and one of them is just working out why we handle sex as a society like like why do we handle it in the way that we do you know the thing that everybody nearly everyone everybody desires it everybody's going to do it at some time a lot of your decisions especially in your single days are driven for that it's something that we are is in all of our lives but it's something that we're like oh my god you know it's like so it's so weird it's so weird it's like even if if there were aliens right if there are aliens and they were to come and look at us behave around this thing that we all do and it's the reason why we're all here no one got here without that right but it's just the thing that is like so hush hush it's we are weird creatures sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're literally speaking my, my language here. So when Shushbox started, we were actually a sex positive platform. So two, three years ago, it started off as a sex positive platform because I was like very like sexually empowered. You know, we should be talking about these things. It's natural. It's exactly that. Like, you know, everybody's doing it. Why is it so hush hush? And then as I went on my healing journey, you know, it kind of like uncovered some layers of myself, my own trauma. And then I was like, wait, let's talk about sexual trauma and link that to sex because what about those people yeah okay it's great to be sexually empowered but what about the people who've experienced sexual trauma they deserve to be sexually empowered too they're totally left out of the conversation they're there in this you know little bubble almost like trying to get out of the trauma so that's why we started what we were doing so I do like to talk about sex sometimes because I think you know, it's relevant. It's relevant. You just pointed it out there. It yeah, it's so relevant. crazy. And and then, you know, you we could branch into all different areas with, with this word sex, because mm-hmm. um, then we start, I start to think about what about the people that are doing wrong in sex or yeah. committing sexual crimes? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a whole array of those people, you know, some, some of them, they just don't care and they'll continue doing it. But some have got a situation where they just can't resist the temptation or they wish they could get help to to stop doing that thing, but they can't because they can't talk about that thing because, you know, there's no help. any. It's all of these things. You're so right. You're so right. I had a conversation the other day with a psychotherapist in the US and she actually works with 
perpetrators, sometimes perpetrators who've been convicted, but sometimes minor attracted individuals who haven't, you know, haven't followed through with it, but they're having those thought forms. But to even come out and seek that help, there's a shame around it. But, you know, we've got to look at it like what is worse? Somebody coming out saying I'm a minor attracted person, you know, I don't want to follow through with this or having it deeply, them having that shame around it. It's so complex, but them having that shame around it and then acting out on it and then hurting another person. Yeah. So um, I asked, I have asked the question a number of times on my social media platforms. What are we going to do with the paedophiles that have these thoughts, but have never acted on them? Mm-hmm. Because they, in the eyes of the justice system, they are innocent. They haven't committed a crime, but they walk around with this temptation in their head. Now, they may try to, they may successfully resist temptation for a number of years, but there may be that one day that mm-hmm. they give in or fall over or have a bad day and they're on the internet seeking what they shouldn't and maybe they find it, right? Now, when I put that type of question out to my audience, mm-hmm. you do get um, some feedback saying, castrate them, give them the death penalty. We shouldn't support them. You're, you've got compassion for them. I've got, I will never have compassion for them. What do you mean work with them or support them? But then my, my question to, to those people is, if the person that did this to you, if there was a support system for that person before they got to you, yeah. would you want them to have had that? And everybody's going to say yes, because it would bring at least 1% chance that they wouldn't have touched you. So you've got to take that option, but it's a difficult thing for us to get our head around because we're in the stone ages with this. <laughs> we are so far behind with this. It's mm-hmm. embarrassing. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Preventative measures, right? Yeah. So we should be looking at preventative measures rather than looking at the healing after, you know, the, the recovery after. So it was quite, and something that came up in that conversation was, you know, there is this saying of hurt people, hurt people, not all hurt people, hurt people. So that's not what I'm saying. But 80% of those people, uh, the perpetrators had actually experienced sexual trauma themselves. So there is a level of compassion that I was feeling in this conversation. But at the same time, it makes your head spin a little bit because you're like, it's layers upon layers upon layers. Yeah, I mean, that one's really difficult because we know there's a correlation between uh, offenders and their history. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so um, abused go on to abuse. There's so much trouble in that conversation mm-hmm. because if we're going to start you know, I have heard when I started doing this work, a few people were like, yeah, and and, and um, a lot of abused people go on to abuse. And then I'm like, well, what does that, what do you mean? Does that mean you think that about me? Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. so there's, there's one tricky point about it. And also um, what I feel is, I don't know if these are the correct words, but fascinating and interesting and something we should get to the bottom of mm. is why when that has happened to you, do you do it to others? Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about, you know, you know, we got to think about that really deeply because we're not talking about, I don't know, you would do it because there was you felt some kind of revenge or something like that. It's actually exciting you in a sexual way, mm. right? So men who are abusing children who have been abused themselves, it's not like they're just performing some act. They're actually getting physical arousal mm. from that. So what is turning their brain on? there even though that's happened to them and they know how horrendous it is yeah like that is a complex thing about the human brain I I mean yeah I mean only experts would be able to to answer that yeah I mean it's a it's another type of sexual trauma isn't it 
it is a, it, you could class it as a sexual trauma that they're experiencing. I don't know. Again, yeah, yeah. experts would know how to explain it yeah. fully, but um, it is a. It just came up in the conversation that I was on the other day, and I was like, "Whoa, I've never really looked at it in this in that way." But yeah, complex. But do you have? Do you have more? Like, really, it's a, it's a serious question. Do you have more compassion for a paedophile that's been abused themselves? I do. Okay. I do I do have more compassion because it, for me, I tried to, um, in that conversation and just generally speaking, and from my own experience, right? So not everybody has to forgive to move forward and to heal. But um, in my own experiences as well, I feel like having a better understanding of why that person did what they did helped me to heal or helps okay. me to understand yes. a little bit. So maybe we could have compassion if we knew that the people that did this to us as children were abused themselves as children, we could feel a bit more compassion to them. I'm wondering whether if you take the person, not the person that did this to you, but another person who's hurt another child, Mm. um, could we then have compassion if we knew that person had been abused themselves? I'm not sure. Um, I feel like we, we still need to, yeah, you can't, because it's not your journey, that's not your situation, you know, but I mean, we do still have to hold people accountable and say, you know, you know, when something is wrong, I would love to see TV adverts on sexual crimes. You Mm. you know, they have like, don't drink and drive Mm. adverts. I'd love to be like, I'd love to have like, don't push the girl if she says no, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see that as a TV advert. Yeah. Because I certainly... I mean, of course, my my teenage days were 20 years ago, but I certainly didn't have an appreciation for consent mm. back in the day. I think it's I think the world is very much different now. Like, things are talked about now. But, you know, when I was 16, you didn't have internet on your phone. You didn't have social media. But I feel like I wish more of this is talked in the mainstream. Because look at even this. I mean, we've gone off what we even said we were going to talk about. But even this, like having, when you start talking about it, you start thinking about it. And then we're having the conversation. We're holding the space for this conversation to exist, right? If not, it's hard to digest or it's hard to like express or understand some of these things that are happening. They're happening. So, you know, the more conversations people have about them, you know, the more light is getting shone on the whole situation. Because what people, I don't know if they do realise or don't want to realise, but this is actually happening. It's happening a lot more than you think. And especially in child sexual abuse cases, it is happening. Yeah, I'm trying to also communicate like, like for the people who are like, oh, it never happened to um, in my family or it doesn't happen around in my community. I tr- I'm trying also to talk about like to give people a bit of hindsight. Like if you don't want to have the conversation with your children about the simple things like where the private areas are on their body mm-hmm. and what to do if anybody touches you there and what to do if anybody asks you to touch them there. If you don't want to have those conversations for whatever reason, maybe you think, it will ruin their innocence, which I don't understand. Maybe you think um, it's too scary or you feel embarrassed to have that. But I, I, I want to give people the hindsight because if your child 20 years later turns around to you and says, mum, dad, I've got something to tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 years ago, so-and-so was touching me in all these places and making me do things to them. And it all happened in this house. And I never told you because I didn't know how to. Like mm-hmm. you would wish that you had that conversation and that conversation seems so insignificant compared to the conversation you're having now, 20 years later. I'm trying to give people this. I'm I'm trying to open this topic up to further than just pedophiles and, and, and like the way the news reports on it. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's for sure more that society can be doing, like as a as a whole community, right? It's not just looking at it's not even survivors that should be talking about this. It's everybody needs to be talking yeah. about it. It's great that survivors and you know, we connect with one another, we you know, see other people and you can see other people having experiences and be like, right, okay, I feel comfortable or seeing representation to even just like affirm yourself as a survivor. But with that said, like for change to happen people need to be paying attention who aren't just within the survivor community either. Yeah. So um, how do we get this subject onto people's table who don't know anybody that it's been through and they've never been through it themselves? Mm-hmm. How do you get this subject onto their table? I don't know, but I feel like clever dramas, clever films, that, that's the way to do it because that's the way to get people to watch a subject that they normally wouldn't watch is mm-hmm. through film um, and, and drama and TV series. I think that is the way. Yeah, I mean, it's how a lot of people engage um, now, isn't it? With That's how the world is led. Not sadly. I love trees, but I'm like, you know, <laughs> that's how the world is <laughs> digital. But what I was going to say, this leads us on actually to kind of a little bit more about the content that you're creating. So when I was following you, I did see, you know, the videos that you were uh, creating about your story, basically, and how you were like illustrating it. And I thought the way that you did it was just really eye opening, engaging. So maybe we could talk a little bit more about kind of uh, your story and the content you created around that to get the message out. Yeah, so um, it all started, everything started with my story, right? So this whole journey, everything I'm doing online, the first step was my story and speaking about it. So um, I spoke about it to friends first, um, and then I spoke about it to more people, then I took it public. And the the story that I was finally started speaking out loud was uh, me as an eight-year-old boy. A 25-year-old man got hold of me, manipulated me, tricked me, influenced me um, into doing sexual things with him. And uh, the grooming process, he he conducted it absolutely successfully. He made me think that what we need, what we were doing, was something that I needed. Um, he made me think that what something we were doing was was like kind of unique for our friendship, and that like we mustn't tell anybody. And I was in for it. You know, the kissing was nice. The touching was nice. The cuddling was nice. There were certain things when it gets to things like oral, like, you know, it's disgusting. It Mm. tastes disgusting. But at the time you are eight years old, you don't know how to deal with something that, you know, you don't know. I had no tools and no knowledge to distinguish that it was incorrect. Mm -hmm. I just felt uncomfortable in certain moments. His beard would scratch me and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. made me feel. But if I had the tools and the knowledge, that would have been different. That's one of my big things that I talk about. The abuse lasted for two years mm-hmm. and then he moved away. And then it just stopped. And then I just went back to the kid that I was. In fact, I'd never actually changed outside of the episodes of abuse. You know, he was a close family member. So he had access mm-hmm. to me coming around the house and, and, and it's just so fascinating. I know a lot of people's reaction will be, oh my God, I can't believe the parents didn't notice. And then and then I'm like, but you, everybody has people come in their house, yeah. right? That are unsuspecting. So, so we need to talk about all these different areas. We really need to talk about all these different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I grew into a young boy, lots of friends, 
doing well at school, very social, very outgoing, extremely confident as a young man. I grew into a young man. Um, I did well at school, as I said. I got an apprenticeship as an aerospace engineer. They pushed me. It was a fantastic company in Cambridge. They pushed me. I was learning. I started designing aircraft parts. I started working all around the world. I got into the supercar industry. I started working at McLaren, which is like a high-profile car manufacturer. And then when I was 25, everything changed. I started feeling low. I started feeling sad. I couldn't work out why. It was very out of character. And then after some time, I thought, oh my God, it's that. Because I've never actually forgotten about it. I just didn't care about it. Like I just didn't care that it happened. Mm. Obviously, it was only me and him that knew. Mm. But this changed everything. I spent some time with my fingers crossed that the, these, these memories would just go away, you know, because we were good, you know, 25 years old, loving life, <laughs> right? Why, what 25 year old man wants to come out and start talking about the fact that some man got hold of him and tricked him into doing sexual things with him when, when he was a kid? Not very many, many guys want to talk about that, mm. but after keeping my fingers crossed for two years and realizing this isn't changing, it's when I spoke out for the first time. Spoke to a close friend. He gave me the perfect reaction. I felt incredible the next day. Mm. I kept speaking for five years, one more person at a time, maybe a year in between, maybe six months in between, then three months. Then I was, I was like, I better let all the lads know about this. Mm. And then once I let all the lads know about it, I just got this like little bit of confidence with the story because, you know, everybody's like, oh my God, that's mental. I would have never, these are boys that have known me for 20 years by this point. Yeah. And just the fact of telling it was propping me up just naturally. I started telling all their partners. I started telling all, all, all the parents that knew me back in the day. I'm very lucky to have this set of friends that I met when I was seven and we're still mates. So like, this is incredible. Then my engineering career which was at its best at this point, working for McLaren. The next step was Formula One, which was my ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. To get on the design team at Formula One. It just didn't matter anymore because I'd started researching in the evenings about, I got so into what the hell happened. I started researching like, paedophilia what is it? What's causing people to do it? What's mm -hmm. it doing to the brain? What's an adult doing um, who's been abused as a child? I found chat rooms, mm. chat rooms of survivors all over the world, tens of thousands of survivors. And I just couldn't believe it. I just was reading messages of people talking about the fact that they just still, they're 60 years old and they still feel like they can't say anything. And I was like, oh, maybe I have ended or landed in this real fortunate position where I have now told 30 or 40 people. And now my conversation from when it started of, oh my God, you're never going to guess what happened to me. I'm like, oh my God, I've got stories to tell you, right? It just completely changed. I was mm. like, I should go public with my story because maybe my story would be good information for anybody that wants it. So I thought, well, how the hell am I going to go public with my story? Very coincidentally, and, and just to add here, so this quick thought come in my mind. This is where I start to see anybody who's religious that believes in God, why, like how that, how that story, because I'm like, oh my God, God made it so that two weeks before I went to open mic night and it's like everything, when you look at 
in a positive way, it feels like it all fit into place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, two weeks before, um, I had been to an open mic night and I thought it was brilliant. And I thought I could just go to open mic nights, right? And start sharing my story. I did it for a year. I spoke at a hundred nights. Now that is a story within itself because I had some brilliant nights and some terrible nights, but just to keep things moving. The problem was that when the more I spoke and the more I talked about why I never said anything at the time I was being abused as a child, I started speaking about different topics. I was thinking about where the hell this man was Mm. and what was he doing now? Because mm-hmm. how can I stand on the stage and start talking about prevention and talking to your children and talking about how we need to make this stop when I know there's a guy out there and we haven't got a clue what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of searching. I found him and I messaged him and I said, hiya, it's me. We need to chat. We can do it anywhere you want. I'll come to you. I just want to talk about what the hell went on 15 years ago. I'm not, I'm not coming to hurt you or anything like that. Let's just meet, right? And you've got 24 hours to reply to me. Otherwise, I've got to go to the police. He replied telling me, leave me alone, blocked me. So I went to the police and failed to prosecute because I got no evidence. Because I've got no evidence. Like, actually, I've got no evidence. You know, it was 1993. There wasn't even the internet. So he walks around free. And now I'm going to brush over the remaining of the story, which is so crazy. He walks around free. I continue open micing. I start building platforms online. I leave my engineering job. I pack everything into my car and hit the road. I get all my savings together to try to fund this. I'm really angry that he denied it. I'm like, he should have to hear what I've got to say. Mm. We can't just keep walking around like fearful of these people. This is crazy. He, he, I want to tell him how I feel about it. Mm. So I found out where he lives. I knocked on his door. His wife called the police in the background. They turned up, they arrested me. I spent the night in a cell. He prosecuted me for stalking, harassment and assault for pushing the door into him. I went to court three times. I pleaded not guilty and I got found guilty. And now we arrive to where we are right now. That last part is super mad. Yeah, you're right. I didn't know. I didn't uh, know. It got to that part of the end. Oh. Like, what? <laughs> That's okay. what happened. That's what happened. That's ridiculous. So now I have a criminal record, and um, I'm currently working for a charity part time, trying to get their services into schools. They're an abuse prevention charity, mm-hmm. and they said, "Oh, we need a DBS check from you f- to work with us." And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I I never had to do a DBS check before. You don't have to do that in engineering. The DBS check arrives and the conviction's on there, which of course it is, but I didn't think it, I just hadn't thought about that. And they'd labeled it battery. And I'm like, why have you labeled it battery? I pushed the door into his, into his chest when he slammed it in my face. And And I'm just going to add, that's like, you know, out of everything that's happened, what you did it's not even you know the the feelings you must have been feeling right when he answered that door his face seriously Hmm. slamming the door shut slamming the door shut and i said to him will you just calm down a minute Hmm. you know i've just come here to what the hell were you playing at getting me to xyz yeah but yeah, I mean, getting put in the back of the police car. You should have seen it, right? So the police, 
the police arrived, three police cars, blue lights. They come storming at me because on the phone, it sounded like I had them at gunpoint. She's screaming, he's screaming. So they come at me and they say, you know, they're, they're like ready to draw buttons. And they're like, can you tell me what you're doing here? And I said, yeah. That's the, and I'm pointing at the door here. That's the man that sexually abused me when I was a child. And I've come to speak to him about it. And the whole vibe changed. Mm. Because nobody's really saying that unless that's the case. Yeah. It, their vibe towards me completely changed. And then when they, um, when they came over and they said, they basically said, we're really sorry. They didn't say those words, but that's what their face said. But he's mm. pros- he wants to press charges against you. So we're going to have to arrest you. So mm. they put the ha- my hands behind, they cuff me, and then they empty my pockets. They pull out my phone and it's on because I press record on my phone. Because I, before I knocked on the door, I thought, thankfully, mm. I thought this could go any direction. And what the last thing I want is for him to be saying sh- stuff happened that didn't. So the police officer pulled out the phone and was like, um, you're recording. And I was like, yeah, I recorded the whole thing. So you can use that for like evidence because, you know, I've got nothing to hide. Mm. And then, you know, that that's no criminal or anybody that went there for uh, anything violent would, would yeah. report it. So, so that's the situation. I'm on bail for another year. I cannot go to that part of England and I cannot contact him or do anything in relation with him. Otherwise, I'm in big trouble. I mean, all I needed, all I wanted was to go and have a conversation with him. That's all I ever wanted. And and look, the courts found me guilty, but all the three judges in the magistrate court, Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody in that courtroom, me and him were there, yeah? Yeah. We're standing like 10 metres away from each other in the dock being questioned and by the end of the by the end of the um the day everybody in the courtroom was on my side Mm. but that you can't you know in the eyes of english law you can't find the way you can't find out where people live in the way that i did which i can't detail because i'm not allowed Mm. and you can't just go around knocking on people's houses so they have to slap me on the wrist Mm. They can't be seen. This is what I got told anyway by my barrister. They yeah. can't be seen to be letting people do that. So they have to stand by it. But that's what it is. When you when it got to that phase and like you were saying, a lot of people were actually on your side, you know, hearing the story and everything. How did you feel like seeing him there when it was at that point? He looked at the floor the whole time. I looked at him the whole time. Mm-hmm. When he walked in the courtroom, I was like, oh, my God, that's him. Mm. And he crumbled in the dock. He absolutely crumbled. I was like, I was actually standing there. I was like, oh my goodness, this is a massive day for you. You've got to bring your A game, surely. Mm-hmm. Stuttering, stumbling over the questions. Like, at least come prepared, you know? It's weak. Like, really? It's a weak performance by him. I stood in the del- I stood in the dock and I was like, this ain't just for me. This is for Anyone that's been through this type of experience that will never get to be in an empowering position like this. 
I was going to say that it must have felt empowering. I'm feeling empowered, like listening to you explain it, you know, getting all the way through it and yeah, getting in that confrontation phase where even if, yeah, okay, you got sucked on the wrist, like you said, we understand kind of why that's happened. But you know, that whole scenario of you getting there, seeing him, speaking your truth and having him, you know, being the one who's looking down, who's got that language that's not, um, you know, who's feeling fearful. Yeah. I want to turn it into a short film. I want to turn that scene, that whole day, into mm-hmm. like a short 10-minute film. I just I just need to... I just haven't got the money at the minute. That's why I'm out of money, basically. So, um, mm. so as soon as I can build more I, I, and start to... Because I'm just about keeping my head above water month to month right now. As soon as I start turning that around a little bit more and I start to get funds for more projects, I'd mm. love to turn that... Um, that whole court day into like a mini docu documentary kind of drama style, 10 minute video. Yeah. I think that would be really good for other survivors. And just like we say, not just survivors, but for people to see kind of what you went through and the reality of these situations, I think it would be super powerful yeah. for sure. Yeah. What do you um, think? Um, so when you came forward with your story, obviously, like you were saying, it was later on in life, you'd hit around like mid twenties, your career was going really well. Um, what was it that you, were you just like at the end of that point of feeling like you could suppress it almost? Yeah, I think I realised that trying to bat the bad feelings away wasn't working mm-hmm. because they were growing in strength. You know, they they had, they had eventually had me on my knees and, 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 and I couldn't bat them away any longer. It was mm-hmm. like they, they were growing and I was, I was not going anywhere. And that's when I realised that I, I needed to do something different. How I came up with the decision that speaking out was the next option, I do not know. Because, you know, pre all of this, I wasn't, had no link or interest or, you know, I wasn't listening to podcasts on these things. <laughs> I wasn't reading. I wasn't following Survivor Instagram pages. So where I came up with the decision to speak out, I do not know. But thank goodness I did. Thank goodness I did. Definitely. I was going to say, with speaking out, so obviously lots of different survivors will connect with different like healing modalities as part of their healing journey. Would you say for you, yours was speaking out, literally using your voice and getting that power? Yeah, I think I think speaking out was the correct thing for me at that time. I, I never advise, I, I stay away from, and if anybody's ever heard me advise to speak out, then I made a mistake because I, I stay away from telling people to speak out because I think, I feel like if anybody wants to release their stories, there's a number of ways that they can do that. And it's important that people find the right one for them at that moment. And for me at that moment was speaking out and and then it turned into journaling and and now it's, now it's continuing to be journaling and, and, and talking about it in a way that when I write something about my story, I read it back and I feel proud about what I've written. Yeah, I love journaling. For me, it was really cathartic, you know. Sometimes it's not that you're going to be sharing it with anyone. You can just be like, because I was similar to you, right? I got into my late 20s. I just suppressed all of this stuff that happened to me in my childhood. And uh, I had a lot of like toxic habits, like alcohol, drug, like sex addictions, all these like toxic behaviors. And I just hit a point where I was like, I can't keep going this way. And, uh, you know, I went to therapy and started to break down some of those layers. But yeah, I remember, you know, starting to journal. I remember writing about like 
the thing that had happened, but I'm writing it really small. <laughs> I think it, the first time I wrote it, I was like, M-B. Oh, and wow. I was just like, but I wrote it and I was like, oh shit. And then that was a start, you know, but I yeah. probably did that before therapy, like one or two years before I actually went to therapy. Yeah. So, you know, I did use journaling. I think journaling is a good way to, you know, it's a good way to get your thoughts out, your feelings out. Uh, like you say, not everybody's going to have find the power again it's not easy talking about these things but for some people it will you know find that connection and it'll be a release like you said the more times you told your story the more empowered you felt and it's definitely helping other people having somebody um you know having survivors coming forward I think even if you're not going to be somebody who's like I'm going to go on an open mic and talk about myself <laughs> I, I can't do that <laughs> you know congrats to you well done no, I think it is amazing but you know having people who do come out and speak is obviously super motivating and it makes uh I feel motivated just listening to you you know I'm motivated that um there's people who are talking about these things you know addressing these issues and like you say taking that power not that the power should have ever been taken away Mm. from you but stepping into the power and be like no right look you did this to me yeah you did this to me and I'm over it. It's it's not it's not as simple as that, right? But it's that kind of attitude. It's like you did that to me, and this isn't a burden for me to carry. You know, yeah. you're the one that should be carrying all these feelings of shame and embarrassment and fear. They're for you, but mm-hmm. for some reason we got them on our back. Um, but like they're for you. I mean, we could probably definitely guarantee that more survivors of this type of experience are speaking out more than ever. Mm. these days uh, because of podcasting and social media and things it will be really interesting to see where we're at in 10 years time because um you know now the younger generations that are let's say the younger generations that are now coming to terms with what happened to them when they were a child they've got a lot of people who they can follow that are speaking out and it's probably a really good influence for Mm -hmm. those young people for sure yeah yeah definitely it's times have changed even in the last like you know three years I feel like things have really been picking up so it's yeah. even with TikTok I saw yes. that you've got your TikTok I was like yes lots of views on that get watch this listen to it <laughs> the algorithm on there is great I'm like yeah <laughs> got loads of views it's really good because you're getting them like you say I feel like is it Gen Z is there another generation now after Gen Z oh, I'm not know. sure who knows <laughs> like it's not my generation <laughs> but with uh you know like you say a lot more people uh in that type of digital generation now younger ones are coming forward and seeing people like yourself I think speaking their truth and uh, you know holding people accountable it all goes back to accountability so even you know earlier when I was saying yes I do have compassion for those people who might have I have compassion but I'm not taking away the accountability that you mm. know what they actually did it's Mm. you've got to take responsibility people need to be taking responsibility for their actions that's never gonna you know get taken away um so the work you're doing now is something to say obviously that's the story that you've explained kind of how you've got to where you are now uh what are your plans so moving forward um now with something to say which i've branched out into a separate account now so mm-hmm. i've got two accounts running up my own one and something to say and, and i've divided them now because i want the something to say page to well i started the something to say page because as i've explained now that i got lots of confidence from speaking out i wanted to give others the opportunity to do that if they wish to mm-hmm. so um that's why i created this separate something to say account we post people's stories on there mm-hmm. and i want that to become like a community 
page. We got the merchandise on there as well. We, we're asking questions on there. I want to kick off with something to say podcast in the not too distant future. Mm. And, and my plans are just to get this thing into schools and colleges, every school and college that we can find. Yeah. Right. That's a massive thing. I also want to get it into organizations. Mm-hmm. Right. Now I hear that organizations are now in this new age have a budget for like well-being things. So they've got money to bring in a yoga teacher on a Wednesday lunchtime. They've got money to have a counsellor, like a full-time counsellor maybe even. They've got time to bring in people coming in to talk about bullying or, you know, um, depression and stuff. I'd love to get in on on these kind of things and and bring in... um, how we can make sure children stop getting abused, something like that, right? I think maybe that title is a bit too intense for now. But, you know, I'd, I'd love to get into organisations. Um, when I dream big, right, which I honestly and really I am not trying to be like this positive, motivational, over-optimistic guy. I honestly believe that things like a successful TV series on Netflix explaining how the life of a survivor unfolds is possible. I really feel like getting on massive podcasts like how big like the Joe Rogan experiences, mm. being able to get this subject onto platforms like his. And I also believe, which is one that I am always thinking about, is a very powerful theatre performance that explains how the life of a survivor unfolds. And we would go on tour with it. And maybe even tailor it and offer offer it to schools and colleges for free. Because I think, right, this is the example that I always use. Do you, there's a successful TV series on Netflix called The Queen's Gambit, right? Mm-hmm. And it is their most successful TV series they've ever released. It's a three-part series. And essentially what it is, it's a story about a girl, which is a very uh, interesting story. But it's based around her game of chess, right? Now, when that series got released, Amazon and eBay reported that they'd run out of chessboards, right? Because it got everybody interested in something that they were never interested in before, right? Mm -hmm. Chess is an old-fashioned, dying-out game. Who plays board games anymore? I do, but not many people do, right? What it managed to do is get everybody interested in something that was nobody had interest in before and in an incredible way backed up by the fact that Amazon and eBay ran out of chessboards. They couldn't find suppliers. So that gives me the reason why I feel a lot of inspiration in that is why can't we create a TV series that follows a character that gets everybody interested in the character, but actually they don't realize that they're learning and they're interested in the way that a life of a survivor unfolds. That's the type of thing that I want, because I don't think you can teach child sexual abuse to somebody who doesn't want to learn about child sexual abuse, right? If you, if you, if we're going to do it in a lecture format, a classroom format or, or a documentary format, you're not really going to get lots of people watch it. But if you do it in a drama style, yeah. in a theater style, you know, then you're going to get, you're going to get the, you're going to get the subject onto people's tables who, who, who doesn't normally land on. And it's, I guess it's kind of a, really a more authentic way of doing it because that's reality of how it actually happens. It's not like we're, you know, you're sitting there and like, oh, it's going to happen to me. It, it unfolds in real life. So I think presenting it in that way, you know, showing how, 
you can be a survivor or gain through these experiences, but still living like a normal, like your life, right? That's exactly, it's merged together. It's happening in real life situations. So I think presenting it in that way would be, again, you'd hook, you'd get people in and then not hit them. It's it's coming. Like you're going to see it unfolding and some of the, um, tactics I guess like that grooming the behavior you know some of the things to look out for like you're saying you can learn with that journey so I think that's a really clever way to do it and I'm like why are we not doing it Jeremy why is it not happening (laughs) why has nobody done this you know maybe I'm missing somebody has already like let's take the Jimmy Savile documentary that's recently been on released Mm. on Netflix now lots of people will watch that I'm sure millions of people have watched that but there's going to be also quite a big percentage that are like I'm not I don't want to watch that you want to Come know the watch. truth? I watched probably, uh, I didn't watch it all. I watched all the series. I was like, this is heavy. Yeah. It yeah. gets heavy. And you're like, yes. I don't want to get heavy. Yes. Like, obviously, we're talking, we do this work outside of it. Sometimes I think, yeah, portraying it in a way that is part of a story yeah. is easier, not easier to digest, but yeah, it can be a bit much. I know what you mean. Like, with that Jimmy Savile thing, for example, yeah. I haven't finished it. Yes. <laughs> and finished. you're working in the field. Yeah. Right. Now, you think about your average person, they're going to be like, why would I want to watch that on a Thursday evening when I'm chilling? Like, mm-hmm. but, but if you can do it in a film or story perspective, they don't even, child abuse isn't the thing that it's, that it's about. It's about yeah. this story about a man or a woman or somebody going through a journey. You know, I just think it's a better way. That's what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm aiming for. I like it. I like where you're going with it. And I think, yeah, it's definitely needed. And I think it would be a great way to get the message out there. Like you say, not so um, heavy. Heavy, not so heavy. Heavy is a great word. Yeah. Is a great word for it. Yeah. Hello, Netflix. Do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> True. With that said, how can people when Netflix picks this up? So how can, <laughs> I'm going to be getting this out for you as well. But how can people get in touch with you? So you're doing all this amazing work. I noticed you've also recently um, launched some merchandise as well. Yes. So how can people like connect with what you're doing? Uh, everything can be found on my website jeremyindica.com even the something to say platform if anybody wants to share their story on our platform they can, you can find that through there we've got merchandise running now recently launched it and we're like really pleased with that i had a vision to create something that people can wear that didn't say child abuse but has a design on there that's powerful uh, and um people can really get behind and, and support the movement and also i am working for a charity called taupe line support go check them out i'm running their social media and i'm trying to get them into schools and colleges very very close to that so come and follow that journey as well um, because i plan to do massive things things with them and um, thankfully they're funding the whole thing so that gives me this opportunity um and you know i'm always releasing videos on my youtube channel let me know what you think about things get involved in the comment section the comment section is really interesting on some of my posts with hearing people's different views and opinions i'm on all the platforms we're working very hard there's a team of people that i'm working with on all this content and we plan to take this subject into areas where it's never been before thanks for listening for more information head to www.shushbox.com We see you, we hear you, we believe you.